I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to Charlton Live. This is the big match preview coming to you live from the Valley. My name is Louis Mendes and joining me here in the studio at the Valley, the home of Charlton Athletic, is Mr. Tom Wallin. How are you doing, Tom? Good. Yeah. Yeah, good. had a good week. It's been all right. How's your hangover? It's gone. Gone. Totally yeah, gone. Yeah, excellent Fine. stuff. Excellent stuff. And uh, joining us here, uh, Nathan, how's your hangover? Nathan Miller. <laughs> Mine was all right. I, I didn't get too savage as much yeah. as Tom did, but <laughs> but no, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, was good, good evening. Yeah, on uh, Monday evening, uh, we went to the Football <clears throat> Supporters Federation's Awards, where sadly we didn't uh, take home the uh, Club Podcast of the Year Award, but we still got to go there, which was great fun. We'll talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes uh, later on. Uh, on tonight's show, we've got one hell of a treat for you coming up. We're going to hear from 1998. Uh, playoff final goalkeeper hero Sasa Illich he joined us on the phone uh, during the week and I spoke to him for a good 15 minutes or so an exclusive interview with yet another Charlton legend after we've had Mark Kinsella and John Robinson uh, in the last few weeks we're going to play that later on we're also going to hear from Lee Bayer he's up for manager of the month he talks about the uh, chances of him picking up that accolade we'll also talk about the resurgence of uh, Mark Marshall in the last few weeks and then of course we'll turn our attention to Saturday's trip up to Bloomfield Road we're taking on Blackpool and uh, we're going to hear from Matt Scrafton from the Blackpool Gazette lets us know how the tangerines have been getting on uh, and of course we'll hear from Bayer again as he gives us all the latest team news as we gear up for another big game as the Addicts look to extend their league winning run to five games but we'll come on to that in a minute so Monday evening we're at the Football Supporters Federation uh, Award as I said we didn't take the win unfortunately but it was a great evening uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully next year instead Tom yeah and it's just obviously a, a privilege to be nominated um, it was good to be there a great experience um, I don't know too much about the other podcasts um, in terms of what they do that we don't um, but don't no talk about Charlton, which yeah, helps, I guess. that's possibly yeah <laughs> but no it was a really good experience and I think it's it's recognition for for the work that like I said in my tweet that, I, that you do because you put a lot of work into this mm. we just turn up and just chat so um, oh thank you yeah and it's uh, uh, you <laughs> well, know it's from, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I know this was, this was pre when, when, yeah. before we went on Tom said right Louis was like just Tom say this <laughs> should I get the flowers out now or? <laughs> have you got that apple yeah. Tom <laughs> so yeah no it was a, it was a really good experience and, and maybe next year we'll win it no the whole reason I wanted to talk is because I wanted to hear if anyone could do a Jim White impression <laughs> as good as Max Rushton so Max Rushton the host of the Guardian football podcast they won uh, a different award to the one that we were nominated for he, we spoke to him at the end of the evening and his impression of Jim White saying Roland du Chatelet was the best thing I've ever heard yeah. Nathan have a go Roland du Chatelet <laughs> not even close not Tom, I ain't even going to try I'll leave it you can have a go no, I'll, I'll leave it at yours <laughs> Roland du Chatelet I can't do it either <laughs> like boxing and that I'll work on it this week so yeah so we weren't victorious but thanks for all of your support and your kind messages uh, throughout the last couple of weeks yeah. since we've been nominated uh, fingers crossed we'll be back there next year uh, at the Football Supporters Federation congratulations to the Hornets Nest the Watford uh, podcast who did win uh, in our category um, yeah well done 
Now, well done to them. Right, um, on tonight's show, I did say we're going to talk about um, Lee Bowyer has been nominated, of course, uh, for the Manager of the Month award. Um, he was speaking to Tony Hudson in his press day uh, earlier on today, uh, and he was asked what it would mean to him if he was to take home that accolade. It's uh, been an honour to win it um, because I'm new into this side of things and uh, and to win something it's always good um, and it just shows that how well we're doing you know and, and, and like what we were saying earlier with the injuries and stuff and it just shows how, how well the, the lads are performing to I, I said to them before the start of last month like this this month can we get back into the playoffs and, and they've done that you know they won what four, four out of four so um it's, it's rewarding because it's we're, we're performing and, and, and we're competing and, and, and we're in a good position now in the league. So, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be over the moon, yeah. We touched on it last week, four out of four. Does a manager think, oh, I could get manager of the month? No, I don't think that. Um, there's only one thing I want to win and that's promotion. Manager of the month, yes, that's a bonus, but it's... I want to get promotion and if I keep winning games and we keep winning games then I've got more chance of winning things on the side i.e. manager of the month but if I could swap three manager of the months for promotion I'd definitely do that you know there's a jinx attached to it don't you managers win it and then the next game they lose has that crossed your mind? Um, no I don't believe in all that uh, because what you, you win a trophy then that makes your players perform badly the next day I, I, I don't believe in that no um, if I was lucky enough to win it then that'll have no effect on what my players do on Saturday so there we go Lee Bayer is uh, nominated for the Manager of the Month award uh, Jason Pierce is also actually up for Player of the Month I mean it has been a really good month. I mean, a hundred percent league record. Only conceded twice in the league during those games. Um, I mean, it goes to show that these award nominations coming in, they must be doing something right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think they both thoroughly deserve them. Obviously, the, the results speak for themselves. The games that we've won, um, and and as Boya says, you know, I think a lot of the credit does deserve to go down to him. The, everything that's going on at the club, the injuries we've had, and all of that. I think he's doing really well and thoroughly deserves it. Um, I'm sure that's you know not why he's in the game, but it, we managed to get ourselves back into the playoffs. Um, won four out of four in the league through November, so yeah, best of luck to him. Uh, Naif, obviously, I mean, Bose was asked about the manager of the month curse as such. Do, do you believe in that? Bose doesn't seem to. Um, he always, you know, he always pokes his head out, and it sort of happens. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm I'm sort of with Bose in a way. I think I don't think it affects anyone. I just think. If 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 you lose the next game, it's like oh the dreaded curse. But if you win, nothing gets said about it. So um, I just think it's just one of those things. But um, well, proof uh, proof being put in on Saturday if we lose, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, do do you think Bayer will take the award? I, I can't see why he wouldn't. He's been the best manager for me. Um, and and like I say, you win four in a row and get yourselves back into the playoffs. I, I know Portsmouth have been good, obviously at the top of the league, but he deserves it as much as anyone, in my opinion. Mm. Excellent stuff. Now, uh, Bose was also asked about the uh, resurgence of Mark Marshall uh, over the last few weeks and whether that, whether his performance uh, against Doncaster last week 
what he made of that and whether that's given him the chance to uh, to, to be involved uh, up at Bloomfield Road this Saturday. Yeah, I think I think oh, I have to say that's the best game that he's played since he's been here. Um, in the attacking side, his balls into the box, his, his final delivery was was a lot better. Um, he needs a goal uh, the other week by getting across a defender in another game. Something else that he hasn't done before. So he's, he's taken on board everything that, that trying to tell him and and that's only going to make him improve and then give him more chance of playing. Um, now I'm seeing that end product, then he's got a case to, to have a chance of starting. So um, there's loads of games coming up and, and I've no doubt that he, he'll be involved for sure. Will he be in contention on Saturday? He'll travel with us Saturday, yeah. Um, he'll be in the squad. So there we go, Bo, you're saying that uh, he'll certainly be travelling Mark Marshall up to Bloomfield Road, um, be involved in the squad. Sounds like he'll be on the bench from that, but I guess uh, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating uh, by the time we get up to Lancashire. I think that's where Blackpool is <laughs> on the weekend. Um, I mean, his, his turnaround over the last few weeks has been remarkable, really, when you consider how disappointed he had been in the earlier part of this season. Yeah, I think um, I think I think quite... A- I definitely have. A, I feel a bit sorry for Mark. He reminds me of um, a bit like Lloyd Sam, where I think sometimes he's his delivery is not the best. I think he came with a big reputation as well when he come from Bradford, and they, you know they lost out to Millwall, um, and then it just hasn't it just hasn't worked out for him. For me, I think it's mainly due to the formation that Bowes plays. I don't think he fits into quite a narrow system. Um, but you know we've we've utilised him as a wing back or just um, as a you know full back sometimes, and obviously getting games now is obviously um, giving him a bit of con- confidence, and he's he's working on the bits what Bose and Jacko have told him. So yeah, it's nice to see him doing it now. So he just needs a little run of games, which which I'm sure we will get over the festive period. But um, you know he scored the other day, which I was happy for. But. Uh, we just need to get him more games and hopefully can push on. I mean, uh, Bayou mentioned it himself about his final ball because that was one of the most frustrating things about Marshall because I'd say even when he's been struggling, more often than not, he still seems to be able to get past the play with the ball, but his crossing at times has been so so frustrating because we, we know the reputation he came to the club with and we know that we haven't really seen enough of it over the last 18 months. Yeah, and I think it's that reputation that, that makes it that frustrating because we thought he was going to be this guy that gets to the byline, that puts good crosses in and we didn't just think it, we'd seen it as well because that's what he had been doing. Um, and then he gets here and, and he just didn't really deliver that. Uh, and as Nath says, over the last few games you've seen a real surge in his performances I think he's really improved he he did get that goal as well which is obviously going to boost his confidence um, and I think the way Boyer's working players and making them play their way back into the team is clearly good for him and he he could have gone one or two ways couldn't he and he could have just sacked it in and said right I'm going to sulk or he could have put the effort in and got himself back into the team and that's what he's done injuries have obviously helped him um, but he's got to take that chance now and Yes, we've seen it in a few games, but we need to see it consistently in the league games, which obviously the most important. I think in terms of attitude, I don't think there's a, a player in the squad that, that that will come close to Mark's attitude. He's so, he puts the hours... I remember we spoke to Christian Billick a couple of weeks ago after he'd been 
hauled off at half-time at Rochdale and obviously he reacted to that, came back and, and was even better. And Christian said, you know, he, he spoke a lot to, to Marsh at the time, who himself was trying to play his way back into the team, work his way back into the team. And Marshall puts in the extra hours in training. He does everything He, he does everything right. He's a, he, he appears to be the model professional who has reacted to a bad spell in the right way. Yeah, I think in terms of, of being a footballer, obviously you've got to have undoubted technical qualities, but a lot of the time it's how you bounce back from things and especially when you're left out or you know you've got a long-term injury it's it's your mental strength that'll that'll bring you through obviously the sort of not so good times and and it proves yourself as a character and I think that's what Bose has probably seen that you know he's like he's Tom said he's not sulking he's getting on with it he's trying to improve his game try and improve the attributes that will make him force him force himself into Bo's plans so um yeah I think he just needs to keep going and, and like you said about Billick every, it's not just about technical ability it's about mental strength as well and uh, I mean obviously with the, the FA Cup game last week we got that chance to see uh, Marshall playing playing well and so unlucky with the, the, the own goal if it is an own goal that went in off him um, but, but you said that's exactly why he was he was making these changes so so you could see other members of this squad um Robert Gammon sent in a funny tweet earlier that I thought I'd read out as well. He said, if we go up uh, this year, we get in the third round next year for free. So Bayou was just playing the long game. True that. So effectively, we are trying to get into the into the third round, but just next season. So, I mean, clearly, that has, that game has had its positives in terms of the likes of, of Marshall. And we t- he talked about Dick Steele as well. And you know, and it's up to Marshall to take his chances. Now we are out of the checker trade and and the FA Cup and the League Cup. This is the only chance he's going to get now is when, it's, when, it, when it really matters. Yeah, and... Um... It's not just him; it's all the players now. That's you know we've very clearly, I think, had one focus from the the first game of the season. But obviously, those other competitions have been, however you want to call them, fitness opportunities and inconvenience, um, whatever they are. But they have been opportunities for players like that to play, and then they're not going to get that opportunity now um, unless one there's injuries and two they put a shift in and show that they're worth their place. So. Yeah, I think that's healthy competition. We've only got a small squad as it is, um, so I'm sure they're going to get some minutes, whatever happens. It's just about when they do get into that side now, can they uh, take the chance and and keep their place? Excellent stuff. Well, let's hope so that if uh, Mark Marshall does get off the bench on Saturday up at Bloomfield Road, he does grasp that opportunity uh, with, uh, with, with both hands. Now, don't forget... Coming up just after the break, we're going to hear from a Charlton legend, Sasa Illich, the hero of the 1998 playoff final with his penalty save against Michael Gray that sent Charlton to the Premier League after the greatest uh, playoff final of all time. He's coming up next here on Charlton Live after this quick break. Lyle Taylor has the glorious chance on his Addicts debut. Gives Charlton a lead. A referee blows whistle. Taylor steps up. Lyle Taylor starts yes! for Charlton. Charlton take the lead after nine minutes. Lyle Taylor on his Charlton debut. Gives the away side an unlikely lead.
Welcome back to this channel live, the big match preview coming to you live on Maritime Radio or of course uh, via your podcast app, Acast is the best podcast app that we use, make sure you subscribe to us in Acast so you can listen to all our shows twice weekly uh, the second they come out. Now we've got another treat for you uh, on this evening's channel live, over the last few weeks we've already heard from Mark Kinsella and John Robinson who are both uh, returning to the Valley this Sunday for the uh, playoff 20th anniversary at dinner and, and another man who's doing exactly that is Sasa Illich he of course saved the penalty that sent Charlton to the Premier League after that remarkable 4-0 draw uh, with Sunderland at Wembley um, he'd, he'd only just joined the club a few months before it's an amazing journey he had uh, and now Sasa's going to share his memories of, uh, of, of that day of that journey he had with the club that day of course uh, and uh, how it tells us how he still dines out on that moment. But don't forget, you know, he'd only signed for us a few months uh, before. It was from zero to hero in just a few months. Sasa tell, tells us, uh, starts off by telling us how his journey here at the Valley started. Uh, yeah, uh, to cut a long story short, it was it was a case of uh, uh, making a phone call through one of the directors um, at, the, at the club who more or less... Uh, Asked Alan Kerbish to see if I could come on trials. I came uh, knocking on Charlton's door down at the training ground at uh, in Altham and uh, obviously explained who I was. That I was I had an agreed trial there, and uh, I didn't know who Alan Kerbish was at that particular time, or or didn't know anybody at the club. So they just looked at me from head to toe, saying, "Can you come in the change rooms over there?" And uh, that's how it all began. And that, I mean, that that first few months, obviously, you got you got your place in the team, and Charlton were really surging up the the table towards the end of that season. We had this amazing run yeah. where I think you went eight games without conceding yeah. a goal. So, I mean, that that was quite a run to to have in your first your yeah. first spell at the club. It was it was one of those situations where things just sort of fell into place. Uh, um, it was just like missing jigsaw pieces in the jigsaw puzzle that sort of all came together. Pretty much, uh, you know, from the time when, you know, just after Christmas, more or less. So I broke into the team. Uh, I think my first game was against Stoke away. Uh, I think it was the 28th of January. Um, but it was it was a case of also, uh, you know, the plays getting on really well. You know, there wasn't much stress on us at that particular time. Um, there was no indication that we would even go up, you know. So there was uh, at one point when we started playing and started playing really well, the, you know, we weren't contenders at that particular time, especially early in, in the new year in 98. So uh, it's only towards the end after, you know, a few great results and obviously keeping loads of clean sheets that uh, we got ourselves in a position to uh, obviously compete for the you know, to get promoted to the Premiership. And we had, we had those those two games against it, which kept two further clean sheets. So when you come into that day at Wembley, I mean, obviously we're playing a, a massive club in Sunderland and Charlton at the time were mm. certainly considered a, a much smaller club. But with the run that yeah. we were on, I mean, there, there must have been a certain confidence going into that game, especially yeah. once we got our noses in front, considering the record we had. Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't, uh, you know, obviously the, the two results against Ipswich helped a great deal. Um, you know, coming into the finals against Sunderland at Wembley, that was that's like a whole different kettle of fish. It's, it's you know, now it's something you know that you got you know you have to be wary of, and uh, it's uh, obviously yeah, having the fantastic run in to the Wembley play 
you know, not conceding any goals, uh, playing really well, scoring, keeping clean sheets. It was a huge confidence booster. So come back, you know, coming to Charles, you know, coming to the uh, finals at Wembley, it's just a different, you know, atmosphere, different, different sort of stage. You know, it's like all of a sudden that you know, out of nowhere, we've just pretty much placed ourselves. Um, you know, in the in the window of of, uh, of scrutiny and for everybody to see us play and you know for us to to prove what we've done up to, up until that point. And uh, but even having said that, we were still the underdogs mm. um, for, for that match. You know, so we never really expected us to go through. Maybe that sort of helped in uh, in a way for us to get the result at the end. Yeah. I mean, can you remember what your feelings were as you were first going out onto the pitch? Because I can remember there's that famous clip of you walking out and you have to cover your ears just because of the noise when you first yeah. walk onto that Wembley pitch. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, that that was an extraordinary entrance. Uh, you know, 88,000, 90,000 people pouring with these fireworks, you know, this blowing up literally by the side of you as you're coming out. It was uh, it's one of those uh, moments that you think, oh my God, what's, what the hell is happening? Where am I? You know, where am I? Um, but yeah, it was it was just... Uh, but, we, we, you know, we were focused on the game, you know, even with the crowds and the whole pyrotechnics, you know, pretty much pulling up in front of us. Uh, we were still quite focused on the game. Mm. And of course, we went in by uh, went into half time one nil up with Clive Mendonca's goal. And as I said, with that with that goal record, there must have been a feeling that if we could keep it tight in that first fifteen twenty minutes of that second yeah. half, that there'd, there'd, there'd be a very good chance that we'd go on to win this by a goal to nil. Uh, yeah, um, you know, keeping all those clean sheets, we just didn't feel natural for us to concede a goal. So um, again, you know, us not being the favourites to win that game. Uh, coming back after half time, being one nil up, you just think, you know, we were thinking that, you know, we'll remain like this, or, or at least we won't concede a goal. But little did we know that, you know, there'll be extra seven goals uh, uh, conceded on, you know, goal three, four goals conceded on, on one end on the other, too. So it turned out to be quite an interesting match to follow and watch. <laughs> I was going to say, I must say, like, obviously, when we're watching it, we, we know that we're. We're viewing an incredible game, but when when you're in the middle of it, it, it must be quite hard to sort of keep your concentration when it's when it's turned into such a a, a to in and fro in contest. Oh God, it was uh, it's just a mix of emotions, you know. Obviously, conceding the first goal it was like, oh my God, we just conceded a goal. Then you know, before you know it, we're two one down, and then we're chasing the results, and you know, then extra time or just before extra time, you know, Richard Rufus scores that. Uh, goal to keep us in the game, and it's just crazy. You know, it's just one of those uh, roller coaster uh, scenarios of emotions going up and down constantly. But again, you know, it's it's not until the game was finished, and when you look back on that game, that you realise how crazy it was. Now, of course, yeah, we all know what happened. It ended up with with the penalty shootout. I mean. When, when you're facing so many spot kicks, I guess uh, we know that goalkeepers tend to study the form, perhaps, of, of, of other takers. But when it keeps going so long and so long, I guess it sort of becomes a case of the unknown. You, you're not perhaps expecting what, what the, the penalty taker is going to do. So it sort of becomes a lottery, yeah. perhaps? Well, if you don't get a save in, in the first you know, two or three uh, penalty kicks, and you think, oh my God, what am I supposed to do now? Do I stay in my line? Do I dive to my left, or do I dive to the right, or do I stand big? It, it just becomes, and 
you know, like there's no chance of saving a penalty shot at all. Um, and you're right, as as the penalties were taken more and more, it just became like, oh my god, where now you're you feel a bit lost, you know, but you see the, your teammates and everyone on the halfway line, like you know, clenching their fists and say, come on, you can do it, you can do it. I'm like, oh my god, what, what am I supposed to do now? And you had that but, you had that uh, one that you got your hands onto as well. I think maybe the third or fourth one that it looked like you'd kept out and it just crept in as well. So were you thinking that? Oh, point? Yeah, I know the time yeah, the chance is gone. Um, I'm thinking it might have been Makin, perhaps. Chris Makin, was Possibly, it? yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, Chris Makin, yeah. Mm. So he, he took that penalty shot, and, and I saw it, obviously, I guess the right way. Um, maybe because I took that extra sort of, I don't know, maybe I anticipated a bit too early, and as I was diving to my right, he, he kicked the ball in that direction. But I actually thought I had it, you know. Mm. And, and I remember just hitting the, the bottom palm of my hand, and it just literally ricocheted in, into the into the back of the net, and I'm like, oh my god, what have I done now? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was it was a roller coaster for us yeah. also in, in the goals. And when when Michael Gray was stepping up, I mean, in looking back at it now, you, you can say he probably looks a little bit nervous. I mean, were you as a goalkeeper? Were you trying to sort of stare down the players as they were coming towards us? Obviously, you were making yeah. yourself big within the goal as well, well but. Yeah, I mean, during that, I mean, again, so many penalties have been taken so far. So you're just trying to use every trick in the book just to try and unsettle uh, the person that's taking the penalty kick. So obviously, I try my very best to, uh, you know, uh, intimidate my opponent. Um, obviously, not realizing, uh, you know, the state of mind Michael Gray was in at the time, but. Um, you know, I tried to use every trick in the book, stone in the eyes, you know, you know, you're not going to score past me and so on, getting my line just before the penalty kick was taken, just trying to unsettle as much as I can. And uh, obviously when when uh, Michael took that penalty and I, my body movement was going that direction anyway, but as soon as he struck the ball, uh, I already had a grin on my face before <laughs> I even caught the ball. So uh, as soon as he struck it, I was my my body positioning was in in that in the going the direction of the ball and I thought that's it I've got this and uh, and was, the, only, the only way I can explain it is it's like a slow motion scenario as I'm diving to my left I see the ball literally you know coming my, my direction and and I had this huge big grin on my face <laughs> before I even caught the ball. And obviously, the rest is history. Yeah, I was going to say because that, I mean, that, that that's that scene afterwards is so famous to Charlton fans when you come rushing out of the goal and then you you end up on the floor under a pile of bodies and then even even the substitutes and the coaching staff in their suits as well joining in. I mean, can can you remember so much from that moment? Oh, uh, it was euphoric. You know, it was it was one of those situations because it dragged on and you know the emotions going from one end to the one end to the other and. You know, it was anybody's game. It was just like a, a tennis match. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, towards the end, whoever wins the next uh, point ends up winning the game. So it was anybody's game. Um, obviously, when I caught the ball, when I saved the penalty, I just through sheer excitement and the adrenaline just kicked in. I think I could have run a marathon after <laughs> after saving that, uh, that penalty yeah. uh, kick. So uh, I know. As I was running towards the centre of the goals, I saw my teammates running towards me. And I thought, okay, the best line of defence is if I just literally throw myself to the floor <laughs> and hopefully they'll have some mercy on me and not squash me as much as they did. But, uh, but 
but it was great. I think I could have had the whole Wembley jump on me at that time, and I think I would have survived. <laughs> That's how much the adrenaline was yeah. pumping at the time. And how long did it take to sink in what it actually meant? Because obviously you've got the victory, the the relief, and the adrenaline. But then, you know, now you've got this this chance to play on on, on the biggest stage in English football. How long did it sink in? Uh, take to sink in. Uh, it, it took a while because um, you know, coming from where I came from, from literally. I don't know, six or seven, even less, what, six months, five months, six months, coming to Charlton and knocking on the door, asking for a trial and end up playing at, you know, uh, the player finals at Wembley and saving the crucial penalty. Um, it was a bit of a sort of, you know, meteoric, uh, meteoric rise uh, to, the, you know, to the stadium where I, where I got to. So, it was only a, until the, the following day when obviously after, you know, the following day you go and buy the press to see, uh, you know, the reports on the game and so on, to see what score what score you got from out of 10, 1 out of 10. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm buying this newspaper and I've got my, literally my, my, my face on the back, <laughs> you know, uh, back page of every sort of tabloid in, in the UK. And I'm like, oh my God, look at this me. And he still didn't really kick in at all. Um, it was only after maybe a few days when I, um, when things settled down and, you know, uh, you managed to, uh, just to relax and you play back some of the, you know, some of the, the game that you played and so on, just to look at the goals that I conceded and so on. Yeah, it, it took a while for me to, to grasp the concept that we're actually in the premiership. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard for anybody to comprehend, um, you know, in these sort of situations, how much you've achieved at that particular time whilst on the pitch. It does take some time afterwards to understand what actually, what the consequences are or were, uh, me by saving that penalty. And of course, now that, I mean, our, our playoff final goes down as the greatest playoff final that, that Wembley ever saw. And when, whenever the playoffs come around at the end of every season, it's always mentioned. So do you still get a little bit of pride uh, when, when oh, you, yes. see, you see yeah. your, your, yeah. your penalty yeah. save going up on the TV again? Oh no, I'm still living off that penalty save, so <laughs> it's great for me, definitely. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those games that you know that's what English football is all about. I think these type of games is what English football is renowned for, and and that particular game just uh, it just typifies the English game. You know the heart, you know the the you know never give up to the last minute, and uh, and it's always exhilarating to watch when you don't know what the outcome's going to be. And uh, of course, you're coming back for the dinner uh, n- next weekend. You're looking forward to getting back in contact with your former teammates, and of course, with the Charlton fans. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, I just can't believe it's been 20 years since uh, since the uh, Wembley playoff finals. So it'd be it'd be great to uh, come back and uh, catch up with my old teammates. Um, see how much we've aged and how many grey hairs we've got in the <laughs> meantime. So it'll be it'll be fantastic to catch up again, and obviously. Uh, you know, to sit there with the fans, they you know, experienced the final um, at Wembley too. So it'd be nice to see these, their feedback too. Sasserilic, uh, the 1998 playoff final hero. There, he saved the the penalty from Michael Gray that sent Charlton into the Premier League for the first time. Well, ever since it was called the Premier League, actually, the first time uh, Premier League football or top flight football had been at the Valley for a long, long time. Of course, because we've been away while uh, while we're back in the old First Division as well. Great to hear from him. Um, uh, Pete Howarth tweets in: Still get goosebumps when people talk about that game. It will never be beaten. Was lucky enough to stay at Sasser's hotel, share a beer, and talk to him about it. 
uh, on uh, on my honeymoon. You said it was incredible. Them days uh, will be back soon, hopefully uh, in May. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's we've been lucky with with the legends we've had on the show over the last few weeks, and Sasser's right up there. And it's just great to hear like uh, his memories. Are, he admits he still dines out on it, which uh, which you would do, I guess, if you made a save like that. And it's remarkable to remember like the the turnaround from like as I said at the top, he was an absolute zero before he joined you know and, and he had he came in he had this amazing run uh, towards the end of that season where he, he went eight games without conceding a goal everyone was expecting it to be a tight game and obviously it didn't turn out to be that way at Wembley um, but I mean what what a way to sort of introduce yourself in, <laughs> to, to English football in the first six months of, of your time at Charlton yeah I think um, <clears throat> he obviously said that he, he came into Charlton not really knowing you know curbs and the players and and then we went on a sort of an insane run, clean sheets, and we 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 did sort of sneaking under the radar that season, and we went into the final with Sunderland being obviously strong favourites um, because you know they obviously they had the two of obviously Phillips and Quinn, but and then obviously the rest was you know it sounds a bit cheesy, but it was histories, and and like you say, it's a bit of a it just seemed to come out of nowhere because I think I remember it was quite, I was only I was only eleven, so I only remember some bits of the season vividly, but. Like he said, there was never like an expectation of us to go in up or anything like that, like massively. Um, but yeah, so when you when you listen to Sasha there, it's it's just insane how it all sort of happened, and it was sort of a fairy tale um, how it all ended, especially him saving the penalty and obviously Michael Gray losing his bottle. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's interesting to hear actually how um, how he was trying to sort of uh, stare into the eyes of the, of the opposition penalty takers. I guess when a game's just gone on that long, you're just desperately trying to find any edge, anything that you, that can give you an advantage over your opposition. Yeah, exactly. And we saw Pickford with his um, water bottle over the World Cup with stuff written down on there. Um, yeah, as you say, you try anything. And I imagine like the technology, I don't know how much they'd have studied penalties. I mean, I know it was around, but the technology's so much more advanced now and you know, the access that they get to players is so much more easy to come by now. So you'd think then, you know, especially when you get to penalty taker four, five and six, they might never have taken a penalty before or one or two. So you're not going to have that knowledge of where they're going. So as you say, you just try and put anything into place to try and unsettle the other player. And I think um, Robinson said it, didn't he, on Sunday show that actually when you look at it, Michael Gray's legs are just gone when he tried to take that penalty because it was such a poor effort. But... I mean, that doesn't take anything away from, from Illich. And, and like Nath just said, the performances he put in alongside that back four to keep all those clean sheets at the end of the season, to come up uh, to Charlton and to do all that. And yes, he conceded a few on the day, but he's the one at the end of the day who had his, his name in lights and, as he said, his face all over the tabloids the next morning. So Sasser will be back here at the Valley on Sunday, this Sunday, the 9th of December, for the Back to the Valley anniversary dinner at the Charlton Athletic Community Trust are putting on I've tweeted out the link for tickets I'm not entirely sure if you can still get them but if, you, if you'd like to go just have a click on the link see if you might be able to blag one or two uh, before they go off sale um, myself and Nathan are going to the dinner on Sunday and because of that uh, Sunday evening show will be brought forward by a couple of hours it's going to be sometime four or five-ish we're going to confirm that uh, exactly on Sunday uh, as we work out what time it will be so just bear in mind if you want to listen to the show live on Sunday it will be a couple of hours earlier check out our social media feeds to uh, see confirmation of exactly when it is but the, the podcast will still be available uh, as per normal alright let's have a quick break and then we're going to start to gear up for Saturday's trip up to Bloomfield Road 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Solly, so Solly wins the ball and then stabs it forward. Grant's going to put Turner under pressure. Turner, an experienced defender, no goes way. down, but no way a foul. And Grant's got away and burst into the penalty area. Switched it across and oh, it's there. And Turner scored in front of the away fans. It was Grant up against Turner. Turner went down, claiming a free kick. It definitely wasn't. Grant burst into the penalty area, fired the ball across the six-yard box, and there was Lyle Taylor for his third league goal of the season to knock it in past Mark Oxley and the Addicts in a scrappy opening 12 minutes in the second half of taking the lead. Welcome back, this is Charlton Live, the big match preview on your Thursday evening. Louis Mendes, Tom Wallin and Nathan Muller in the studio here at the Valley. Time to look ahead now. Saturday we're making the long old trip up to the northwest uh, to take on Blackpool at Bloomfield uh, Road. Hopefully it uh, won't get called off like it did last time, uh, although there is a lot of rain in between now and then uh, due to fall around that area. So hopefully the pitch is in slightly better nick than it was uh, when the game got called off an hour before kickoff. Uh, last time you, you remember that fondly Tom because you, you got to go on a lovely uh, coach trip didn't you when he talks about it today and says uh, hopefully the weather's good I was like oh not again please not again because <laughs> you're up there again aren't you so bring bring an umbrella yep. uh, just in case so uh, right so Blackpool they're, they're only three points behind us uh, in the league table which is fascinating really considering the problems that both clubs have of course the, uh, the those of you listening to this show will know very well about what's going on here with Roland du Chatelet uh, up there there's the situation with the Oysters uh, which has been dragging on and on even longer, I'd say, possibly than the Duchatelet situation. Um, it sounds very similar. It sounds like they, they've been told they were going to sell, and then it's still going on, and no one seems to be knowing exactly what the story is. But Matt Grafton uh, from the Blackpool Gazette uh, is, is probably the best person we could have asked. So I got uh, on the phone to him on Tuesday uh, to find out um, exactly what's going on up at Bloomfield Road, and considering the circumstances, how the Tandrians have been getting on so far this season. Yeah, well, they're doing very well, really. Like, like I said, given the circumstances, they're doing much better than anyone could have hoped. It's, it's always a weird one with Blackpool because you can, never, given the off-the-field situation, you can never really fully gauge expectations before a season. I think a lot of people were just, you know, happy for them to stay up, um, but you never know what's going to happen off the field. So it's, it's very difficult, like I said, to predict at the start of the season. So um, 
Three Sky Boyer, one game into the new season, which was a shock to everyone. No one saw that coming. Uh, Tay McPhillips obviously was his assistant. He took over, and then he just carried on the work from Gary Boyer. It doesn't look like anything's changed on the pitch, um, which is really, you know, real big credit to the players and, and Tay McPhillips. And to be three points off, off Charlton, um, you know, a, a very big plus this level with a very good squad. Uh, Blackpool, given what's happening, shouldn't really be competing for the playoffs, but, you know, they are. And uh, as, you, as you saw last night, um, in the FA Cup as well, if, if they win their replay, they could, they could face Arsenal as well in the third round. So, um, so far, it's, it's gone much better than hope this season. Mm. I mean, what were the circumstances around Gary Bowyer leaving? Was it all to do with the, the current situation with the owners still? Yeah, that's, I think that's the major reason. Yeah, he did cite personal reasons and uh, he, did, he did miss a, a pre-season friendly during the summer for personal reasons. But I, I think it's just a mixture of everything, really. He, 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 he sort of said to me, you know, he's like two, two years of working for, for Owen Orson, it's got too much for him. I, I think, you know, he, he didn't get the things he wanted. Um, he, he lost a lot of key players during the summer. Most of them were out of contract because the club failed to, um, to, to offer contracts to the best players. Likes of Clark Robertson and Carousel have gone to the Championship and players like that. Um, you know, you know, I think most managers at this level accept you lose players, but you want to get a fee for them. You don't want to lose your best players for absolutely nothing. So, um, and there was obviously issues with the training ground. The, the training ground at Blackpool is, is unusable, um, although I think they are returning there, but they've been away in Preston for the last three, four months. So it, it's just the whole situation, a bit of a mess. I think it's got a bit, it just got on top of him. Yeah. And, and, and he sort of rightly thought, we don't, you know, how long can I keep putting up with this? Which yeah. I don't think anyone, anyone can blame him for, to be honest. It yeah. was just a shock. It came, like like I said, one game into the new season. So what is the the latest with the, the Oysters? Now they had that, that court case with Valerie Bellacon and it, se- it seemed like they were going to sell up and probably similar to Charlton, it seemed like there was going to be a takeover at some point within the near future, but then nothing seems to have materialised. Yeah, it's, it's it's ongoing. It's never ending. Well, whatever whatever other words you want to use, it's it's, it's very frustrating. Um, and you know, fans, you know, journalists alike, we're all sort of kept in the dark. And Owen Austin doesn't, doesn't speak to the press, doesn't speak to me personally. He never has done really. Uh, and, and then Valerie Bellacon on the other side, he, he's sort of gone quite last few months as well. So there's still this sort of twenty five million pound debt hanging over Oyston. He doesn't have that cash lying around. He doesn't have that in his account. That's pink been pretty much admitted in recent court hearings, uh, but he does have assets, he has you know, uh, properties and land and that sort of thing, um, but he's made no effort whatsoever to sell those to raise the cash, so um, the 12-year anniversary of that initial court judgment passed last, last month, and we, we look no, you know, no closer to a resolution whatsoever, I think Bellacon sort of lost interest mm. in taking over the club, that's, that's never been confirmed, he's never come out and said that, but that's, that appears to be the case. Um, and Oyston just, you know, he's annoyed and frustrated every possible person. He's, he's fed up with his family over this. He's obviously the fans. That's, that's you know a long running issue. But you know he's 84 years old, and for some reason, he, you know, he's desperate to cling on to a football club, which is is you know not making money. Mm. Uh, it's it's got no training facilities. Obviously, the fans are boycotting. Why he would want to keep hold of it, I've no idea. But you know, this is the sort of person we're dealing with and, and like you sort of suggested before I guess you've had a sort of similar experience at, at Charlton as well mm. and the fans are still staying away then there's not been just because of the success on the pitch that hasn't brought any back at all no absolutely not they're staying firm and you have to respect that really I, mean, I, I think it was back uh, in League 2 uh, a couple of seasons ago when Carl, Carl Oyston was still there as chairman and he sort of hinted that you know the fans will come back once 
once uh, the success of the game and they win games, but but he was absolutely wrong. They haven't, you know, obviously they won League Two playoffs. They only took five thousand to Wembley, which obviously compared that to thirty thousand the last time they were there. And and you know, last season twelfth in League One, your gates were still officially three thousand. But you know, if, if you've been to Bluefield Road, you'll know it's not three thousand. Yeah. And, and and again this season, you yeah, flirt with the playoffs and uh, crowds are. Crowds are very low, and you know the the, the battle lines are being drawn now. The, the people you know have taken their position, and they're not going to move from that. Owen Orson doesn't seem like he's going to move from his position, and the fans certainly aren't going to move from theirs. Obviously, that could be tested if there is. That will do get you play Arsenal in this, this FA Cup third round. I'd, I'd imagine some will come back, and, and but I'd imagine most of those of casual fans in, in the town who aren't necessarily Blackpool fans, but those you know die-hard Blackpool fans that are boycotting, I can't, I can't see that changing yeah. until Austin goes. So let's talk about the the, the form on the pitch. As I said, they're, they're, they're only three points behind Charlton, so it makes it quite a big game actually on on Saturday. I mean, what do you think is behind the, su- the success that they've had this season, and who who are the best players that the Charlton fans should be looking out for? Yeah, it'd be interesting game to set out. I'm looking forward to it. It's interesting to, to test test Blackpool against a side that you know I, I think will be will finish probably finish in the playoff place. Um, you know, they played the likes of uh, Peterborough before, did well, probably should have beaten Peterborough, I did well against Portsmouth, not played Sunderland yet, or Barnsley. But, um, you know, I think it would be a good test of where they are at. Recent weeks, obviously lost to Doncaster last week, uh, that was on the back of a, <clears throat> a five-game winning run. So that's obviously they're happy in good form, but that, that they made a few changes for the Doncaster game ahead of Slotty Hall Moore's FA Cup game, which, which I think backfired. Um, so they're not, you know, flying as they were last week. So that that's that could affect their conference momentum. But um, in terms of players to look out for, I mean, Joe Spearing is the obvious one. I think I'm sure most fans will, will recognise the name. He's he's probably Blackpool's being Blackpool's best player this season, head and shoulders above most players I've seen in League One. And you know, he, he looks too far too good for League One, really. Mm. Um, but, and, and then Curtis, Curtis Till in defence, he, he was linked with uh, Ipswich Town during the summer. Um, a, lot, a lot of championship clubs are interested with him as well. He, he's, he's, again, stepped up from last season when he joined Blackpool from, from non-league, from Wrexham. And, um, but he's never looked, he never looked like a non-league player. looks like destined for the championship at least, really. So I think they're the, the two stand-up players. But apart from that, Blackpool are, are just a, a solid unit, a very hard-working team. There's no real stand-up flair players attacking-wise. You know, they're, they're not... Strong up front, maybe as, as other sides in the top six, such as Charlton, obviously the players like Lyle Taylor, but they're very good defensively. They kept, I think, it is ten clean sheets in the league, which is the best record in League One. Mm. Um, so they are they are capable of sort of turning out nil nils, and obviously, if, if games are nil nil, seventy eight eighty minutes, they have you know, the capability of, of, of nicking one goal, and obviously that that could be the difference in the league. Hmm. And finally, from me, I'm just wondering how how the pitch is looking because we had quite a nasty experience <laughs> coming up last year in the game getting called yeah. off just an hour before. So, is that all looking okay now? Yeah, it is. I, I don't want to jinx it, but I don't think you'll have any issues this Saturday, obviously weather permitting. But uh, the, the pitch has been very good this season uh, so far. It, it's normally um, I can't remember what, what was it January last season the, the game was. Yeah, I think but so. It's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's normally after sort of Christmas time, January, February. That's when it turns after sort of the winter games. But um, they've only played, I think, one or two home games in the last sort of month or so. So I think the pitch is fine. It's like I said, it's sort of around Christmas and after that time when when, when there's five six games in a short period of time. Um, so you can probably try and play a bit lucky to play playing before January this time. But uh, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Well, again, Matt's Grafton there from the Blackboard because they're promising us that the pitch will be fine. So when we get up there and it's all cooled off, we'll all go around his house. And have a word with him. Um, yeah, cheers to, to Matt for joining us on the phone there. Um, intriguing contest, actually. And it is 
funny that considering that both teams have their clear ownership issues, and I mean Blackpool get tiny crowds. They probably get. I mean, if you look at their realistic crowd, it's probably not much more than a thousand, depending on how many away fans turn up. Um, but they're doing okay, actually. They got got promoted a couple of years ago back into to League One. In turn, you know, relatively okay, and they're doing okay in the league this season. Again, they've had a managerial change after one one game, which is a uh, less than ideal. Mm. Um, but they're only they're they're on our coattails, and that actually makes Saturday a pretty big game as well. Yeah, huge game. Um, and obviously, we've had the little break from the league, so it'll be nice to get back to that. Um, but yeah, they're in good form as well. I was just having a look. They lost to Doncaster in their last league game right at the end of the month. But apart from that, they won five five games, uh, including an FA Cup and a Checker Trade through November. So they're on a good run as well. As you say, just behind us in the league. I mean, in terms of ownerships and uh, the state of the club, we can have our arguments over who's got it worse and all of that sort of thing. Um, but on the pitch, as you say, two two sides in very good form. Both got, I think, a f- game in hand around a lot of the sides around us and only three points below us. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a huge game and uh, I, I am looking forward to it and just hoping it goes ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is, it is just bizarre Like in terms of, like I say, the ownership uh, crisis is at, at both clubs and, and and the argument about who's got it worse. I mean, we, like I say, we, we could talk about that uh, forever, but it does go to show, I guess, Nathan, the managers at both clubs, Bowie here, obviously, and McPhillips up at, up at Blackpool, considering the difficult circumstances they have to work at. I mean, by the sounds of it, Blackpool's Squires Gates um, training ground isn't even used, so they have to go and train in Preston, so they haven't even got their own training ground. To to be in and around the, the playoff places is quite an impressive feat that, that both managers have achieved so far. Yeah, it just shows... Um... I mean, in terms of the players, obviously they're pulling their weight and they're, they're working hard. And you know, it's to get out of this league, you've got to have um, you've got to have a good togetherness. And I think with us, I think we've already touched on it many times. Is the sort of the team spirit we have, and I'd imagine because where Blackpool are, they have something similar. Because as you say, with the difficulties going off the pitch, if you didn't have strong characters in the dressing room, they'd easily be further down the table. If you look at teams like Bradford um, mm. you can only sort of assume that they, they haven't got the, the team bond as obviously teams like us and Blackpool do yeah conceded uh, very few goals mm. actually only uh, there's only one team in the in, in the uh, the league that have conceded fewer uh, than Blackpool and that's Portsmouth so they've conceded the same as Sunderland just 18 so a real test it's going to be for, for Lyle Taylor and Carlin Grant up top in particular on Saturday although we do know they have got the capability uh, to, to to achieve what they need to do. Right, Lee Bowyer, of course, uh, rested a lot of players last week for the FA Cup game, uh, as we discussed on last Sunday's show. Uh, but those players who were rested, uh, are they ready and raring to go now for Saturday's trip up to Bloomfield Road? Yep, they're all back training now. Uh, th- the only players that we could have played in the Doncaster game, obviously nobody knows all this, so we had... Um, Carlin walking from training on Thursday. Christian walking from training on Thursday. Ward didn't even train on Thursday. So we lost them. Uh, the only four players that are trained Saturday morning before the Doncaster game was Lyle, Joe Rebo, Pierce, and Pat. They're the only four players that could have been selected anyway. Um, so, like I said before, 
a lot of it was taken out of my hands. Um, I, I couldn't risk any of them four. Pats has come back into the side. He's played, what, two, three, 90 minutes. We've chucked him in the deep end, really. We didn't really want to play him 90 minutes, 90 minutes, two on the spin. Uh, and obviously, Pierce has had a couple of niggles here and there like he does all the time. He's put his body on the line. Joe's been playing a lot of games. We're short in midfield at the moment. We, so we ain't got the players to rotate it in the middle of the park. And, um, and obviously, Lyle, like, do you take a risk with your, with your top scorer? So, my hands were tied, really. There was only four players that could have played anyway. So, um, But I got a lot of positives out of, out of that Doncaster performance. Um, young Toby done well. At left back, uh, Marshy done well, and he looks like he's improving in the final third. Um, so, and, and got valuable minutes into to Reeves, Billy Clark, you know, like because they're, they're people that, especially Billy, we might we probably need later on in the season. A Lyle and Carlin available to you on Saturday? Yep, yep. So they're training there. Joe Rebo's training. Um, Carl and Christian's training again, and Tariq. So Tariq was another one. He he didn't he couldn't train Saturday. He he didn't train after the Tuesday game. Um, so he was another one, but he's back training now as well. So they they're, they're still a bit tight, but the, the pitches are heavy. Uh, so it's it's just a bit of juggling at the moment, you know. But it is what it is, and no matter who goes out on Saturday. They'll be ready, and, and and I have no doubt that they'll uh, they'll be competing to win the game. What about the fitness of Jamie Ward? Jamie Ward, no, at the moment he's um, he's at uh, he's not trained since uh, Tuesday, the, the last Tuesday game. So um, he's out at the moment. When do you expect to have him available to you? Uh, good question. He needs to go for a scan and, and, and see how things are, but I can't put a time frame on it yet, but I know he's going to be out for a, at least the next week or two. Don't attempt fate on your part, but is the injury list showing signs of shortening? Shortening as in getting players back? No. <laughs> it's, it's not shortening. Uh, get one back, you lose one or two. And I have to, especially with the Saturday, Tuesday games coming up, I have to try and rotate. I have to because it's, it's tough for them and, and and a few of them are starting to feel little niggles and stuff now. So um, it's, it's definitely not shortening that. And of course you've got uh, Portsmouth the following Tuesday, so you're going to be doing a lot of travelling, aren't you? Yeah, Blackpool up and down, obviously long way. And, and then the Portsmouth, it's, it's not too far, Portsmouth. Um, so, yeah, a lot of travelling, but there seems to be a lot of teams up north in this league. <laughs> There's not many down south, so, uh, yeah, but we're used to that. That's, that's what you do when you, when you play, you, you, you travel around, and that's just the way it is. Blackpool's pitch could be better. It's notoriously heavy. Will you have to adapt the way you play to cope with the pitch at Bloomfield Road? No, no. Um, I know it'd be heavy because I think Rochdale's game was called off the other night, and obviously that's up that way. Um, 
we went there last season game got called off because of waterlogged pitch so hopefully it stops raining up there unlikely but hopefully <laughs> um, but yeah it's going to be a heavy pitch and and they, there's, there's grass on it and so there's no reason that we have to change we're we're still past the ball and, and we'll still be creative in the final third because they're, they're the players I have um, and we defend properly so no, nothing changes as Lee Bowyer there saying that he won't be allowing uh, a difficult pitch up at Bloomfield Road to become a factor in how uh, Charlton approached the game. But, I mean, surely it will make some difference if the ball's sticking. I mean, last time we went up there, I mean, the time after he got called off and we actually played the game, it was one of our worst performances of the season. It, did, it, it can't help, surely, if the ball's not going to whip around on the surface quite like we want it to. No, it might mean that we probably play it, play it a little bit, um, but like you say, if the ball's not really um, rolling nice, we might play uh, t- sort of doing the little dinky balls to the sort of to the flank sort of thing to try and get let them press us and then try and go in behind them, which we done a couple of times last year. People who've done a high press, but yeah, I think I don't think there's any other way that our sort of players go. I don't think there was the times last year when we had Josh, and it was literally just route one. Um, I think our players are better than that and I don't think they'll be tempted to do it. So I, I don't think we'll be, like you say, free-flowing, but I think we'll try and keep it on the floor but maybe go a little bit more direct um, than we're probably used to seeing than, than when we play at home. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to look to start on the front foot. I imagine the run that we're on, we're the team that should be going there with, with a degree of confidence and they, they will have the majority of them this rest, which, you know, will that come into play? I mean, on paper, it should it should help us, you, you'd hope. Mm. Yeah, you you would hope so, but then again, there was that run when all the games got rained off a few seasons ago, and we had so many at the end of the season. And actually, having that momentum of just playing week in week out, they kind of battled through it. But I think the way that the games have gone this year, actually, with us struggling a little, struggling a little bit on Tuesday nights, um, I think actually that you know having a little bit of a break, particularly because we've got such a small squad, is probably going to be beneficial. It's just about making sure they get up to speed quickly and, and start the game quickly. And uh, yeah, it should be quite an entertaining game, I think. But um, mm. as Nave says, we might need to change our style up very slightly. Maybe put Nabs up front or something just to, <laughs> to change things up and go a bit more direct. Well, well, we, we did show uh, in our last away game, our last league game, of course, was that Burton Albion, where we did have to grind it out. And admittedly, we didn't play well again in difficult mm. conditions. It'd been raining for hours and hours before that game. The pitch was very slippery, so may, maybe too slick rather than <coughs> more, more sticky, as I imagine the pitch mm. is going to be, if that's the right word, on, uh, on, on, on Saturday. We've seen the way Jed Steer can play out from the back as well, those yeah. direct balls as well. So we've got, we've got other styles in us for sure. Mm. Now, of course, we, we heard the team news there I mean big news perhaps is the fact that, that Jamie Ward is going to be missing um, for a couple of weeks I mean he's due to go back to Forest in January whether that will get extended or not we don't know yet Ward he did say himself about six weeks ago they'd be happy to stay if he was given the opportunity um, but I mean it now is the time for Tariq Fosu again he, he needs to step up and he needs to try and show that form that, that we saw last year because we've been saying that all season really he hasn't quite hit the heights I mean Jacko said he'll have to play his way back into form and he'll need to start doing that on Saturday. Yeah, he will. Um, I think last year he played a lot out on, on the um, <clears throat> in everyone's fam- famous formation, 4-2-3-1, so he played quite wider. Um, this season he's predominantly been used as a sort of a central off the striker um, most of the time. But yeah, he you know he, he knows he's not been at his best and he's, he, he needs games. But 
it'll be interesting to see what Bose does, especially with Portsmouth on Tuesday, because I think he might have to be quite clever that we don't go too gung-ho and use all of our energy because he ain't going to be able to freshen it up for Tuesday. So and We've got Reeves, he's been back, back yeah. in with a shout now as well. Do you think he, get, he comes back in? Does he, does he come into the bench? He started last week, of course. Oh, I think, I'll yeah. put him in. Yeah, I think he'll have to. I don't think we've got anyone else no. unless Bo's going to get his kit off. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> get his kit on, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking about your fantasies again there, uh, Nathan. Right, so let's hope that Charlton will be able to stretch their winning run. Let's have a look before Nathan uh, gets totally carried away with uh, with a naked Lee Bowyer uh, about perhaps some sort of uh, Jacko's jackpot. I mean, this is a different type of Jacko's jackpot we're talking about now, Nathan. Uh, have you got any idea how, which, way, which way you might like to go the weekend? <laughs> No, right, Tom. What one Nathan's <laughs> trying to struggle to come to terms with what he's imagining? <laughs> oh, pants! <laughs> oh, well, Jacko, Jack, I've not really. Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've no idea. Any, any suggestions? I can see them being ahead at half time and us winning full time. Yeah, yeah. Nibble on that. Yeah. The only thing you've been nibbling on uh, <laughs> over the weekend, of course. Uh, I mean, let's have your actual predictions, Tom. I mean, uh, a score prediction uh, for the weekend? 3 1 Charlton. 3 1 to the addicts. That'd be lovely, jubbly, Nathan, yourself? 0 0. 0 0. Well, that'd be boring. <laughs> yeah. But at least we'll be. We'll at least there'll be a game this yeah, time. Yeah, at least there'll be the excitement of Lee Bowyer taking all his clothes off. Right, this has been Charlton Live, the big match preview. Thank you uh, for listening. Um, it's been a much more explicit episode than, than normally uh, with, with my inadvertent swearing at the start and, and Nathan oh, yes, FSF aren't listening to Nathan, Nathan undressing the Bowyer by the end of it but sometimes it just goes that way uh, Tom and Nathan, thanks for coming in Cheers, Cheers, I've been Louis Mendes this has been the big match preview as I said don't forget we will be back here on Sunday but it will be at an earlier time because we're going off to the, the, the 20th anniversary of the playoff final uh, the dinner in the evening so we'll be at an earlier time uh, so just keep an eye on our social media feeds to find out exactly what that time is but on that show we'll be looking back at whatever happens uh, up at Saturday uh, up at Blackpool uh, on, on Saturday hopefully it will be three points for the Charlton boys uh, we shall see you later When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.